are going to conclude the series of messages that we've been in all summer about wisdom, about how to seek it, how to grab a hold of it, how to make your life different by acquiring it. And so today we are going to give attention to what it takes to grow up, to grow up in wisdom as a believer and really get a hold of what God intends for us to become as mature followers of Jesus. And when I say that, I want you to know that I, I have a feeling that this morning that there's going to be things that I say that's going to have you say, amen, I agree with that. And there are going to be things this morning that I hope you did not bring tomatoes with you today. So if I see you rummaging about, I'm going to ask for security so I can just duck behind. Yes, we're going to be challenged. I know that my heart has been challenged in preparation. Our hearts need to be challenged, cultivated to understand that there's more for God for us, for God desires for us to be and to do as believers, to be people who are cultivating justice and mercy. And that's not an either or proposition, but both and together. So I ask you to consider with me Proverbs chapter 31, the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, please turn there. Proverbs chapter 31. And right before the writer deals with what is a God, what a godly woman looks like, which is verses 10 to the end of the chapter. Notice that the last impart, as he tries to impart wisdom about what God is like and what we are to be and to do for wisdom, this is what he says. Verse 8 and 9, Proverbs 31. Open your mouth for the mute. Now, this word for mute is, implies certainly those who cannot speak, but it also clearly implies those who have no voice, have no voice. They, they do not have the power to speak against the oppressor. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights who are all destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. As we conclude this series of messages today, I want to talk about maturing as a follower of Jesus. And there are different things that can be considered regarding the Christian life, about who we are. Giving an assent to the Christian faith and maturing as a believer are two different things. It is not an automatic thing. In fact, one believes the right things, the other grows into doing right. And this happens as your heart is cultivated and conformed to the image of Christ. And this is what justice is. Often when we look at the, the terminology justice, in light of our government and laws and rules and lawbreakers, we say, what is justice? Well, justice biblically is so much more. It means that you are to meet life situations. And do right in the character of God. That's what justice is. Carrying forth justice is meeting situations and doing right in the character of God. That's a definition. But as we look at the end of this series, to walk in wisdom, 
you need more than a definition. I know that. Defining it's not going to do it. You and I need a why and a how to mature into wisdom. We need to get below the surface of the Christian life and turn our belief systems into lifestyles that seek justice and do mercy. And here's why. So when I say you need a why and you need a how, here's why. Some of us go through the Christian life or we view the Christian life and we think it's a set of belief systems only. But God's word shows us that we're expected as followers of Christ to grow up. That means to mature. Hebrews 5 verses 12 to 14 says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So the writer was writing to a group of Hebrew Christians. And they're not growing up. And he says, for for by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the work and the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment. Solid food is for the mature, for the maturing. Now, a baby, I don't know, I don't know anyone would disagree with this. Babies should be on bottles. We see them with bottles. That's good. A 20-year-old with a bottle in his mouth, not good. We are to grow up. Steak and potatoes are to be consumed. Amen? Amen. That's right. It's a little early for lunch, but it won't be long, okay? We are to grow. We know that bottles are normal for, for the immature, but we are to move beyond that. Second reason why God calls us to mature We have got to move towards seeing God's character. That the Bible shows us a God in the Old Testament and the New, that the overarching theme actually is God is just. God is just. God does justice. God is interested in justice. God is active in justice. That is who he is. So we, in order for us to grow, we've got to understand this. We need to hear the word of the Lord through the prophet Micah. Chapter 6, verse 8 says this. He, Micah's talking about God. God has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Wow. Wow. This is the word mispat for justice. And it's a word, it's a deep well word that we are to be people of justice. Picking others up, those that have been pushed down, those that are oppressed, those that are hurting, those that are hungry, those who are lost, we are to be reaching for. We're meaning, God means for us to move toward more. And when he says here to love kindness, This is the Hebrew word hesed. And this word is that word for love, deep, faithful, committed, covenant love. That we are to do justice and to love committed love. That we are to be people that is doing that. Faithful love and mercy go hand in hand. Yes, we're to do right. Yes, God calls you to obey law. 
and know that the law is good. But one of the things that happens to us is that we began thinking in terms of the lowest requirements and just doing those. It's one of the reasons our life can seem confusing. When we make Christianity about rules, yes, there are things that we are to do, things we are to avoid, but we miss the full weight of what God has given us in a personal relationship with Jesus. When we miss that, we miss that we are called to display that to the world and to be actively doing that for the world. So I ask you, how much of the Bible are we supposed to read? That's right, you got it. You hear that and you know it. You know it. All of it. Well, all of it shows us that Christianity is not one-dimensional. It's not just believing the great truths of God. Yes, God is great. God is sovereign. God has acted in Jesus of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but rather a full dimension demonstrates that God's love in Jesus is radical love, radical love. And that love for us should compel us to radically love the world in which we live. You are to be changed into people who do justice. Now, I know up front the reality, at least in my life and probably yours as well, that we're weak and we're broken. And the world we live in is weak and broken by sin, by loss, by oppression. By injustice, run amok. All the problems, folks of the world, are not just going away if we engage. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Yes, but if we are to mature, we must do something that I want to be very gentle with here. But I want you to hear me, please. We must not be half-baked believers that's unengaged to the world. One reason why many young people today, all you got to do is read. All you got to do is talk to them. They may have grown up with no view of God in their home, certainly no view of God in school. They have no sense of who God really is. They don't understand. And one of the reasons they don't understand, they'll come with questions. What is it that you, actually, what is it that you believe? Because I'm not sure that I'm seeing a lot of love flowing from Christians. Because what we say we believe and what we do for the world is often without love and without action for the weakest and for those that are hurting among us. It's hard to hear, but it's something that we need to hear. It, we need to bring our heart to bear before God and say, Oh God, who you are, who you actually are, is not clearly changing me. To love kindness is a call to move past justice and to begin giving the best to those who are weak, hurting, and subject to abuse. This is what Jesus did for us. 
He does not give us justice that we deserve. Our death on the cross, he did not give us that, but throws open the door of heaven. God throws open the door of heaven in Jesus and makes a place for us and lifts us up and brings us into a love relationship with him. That's what he does. And that is to change us. So, how? If we're going to grow up, where do you start? I mean, you could be sitting here and going, where do I start to do this? I'm going to show you three ways how justice and compassion can get cultivated in our lives. Making your faith real to, to you and to the world around you so that you become a wise, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So let's look at those things together. First, this. How justice and compassion gets cultivated, you will grow in wisdom regarding justice and regarding mercy when you see and worship the God of mercy and justice. That means that our eyes have got to be open from our neat little views of God to all that God is. And we respond in worship, worthy worship. And this is very clearly demonstrated in Psalm 146. Take your Bible, turn back to Psalm 146. We're going to unpack this just briefly. Psalm 146 shows us what the psalmist does and what we can do. And notice how he begins. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. And then he comes back and says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's like he is poking himself and say, wake up, wake up, wake up, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In other words, while I have breath in my lungs, I will be a person that praises God. That's what I'm going to be. So he awakens himself, and then he says this. He speaks to his soul, and he says, put not your trust in princes. Now, you know what that means? That means very simply this. Do not put your trust in a political party or rulers as if they're going to usher in the kingdom of God. Don't do it. Don't make much of them at the expense of who God is behind it all. Don't do it. Now, he goes on and says in verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed. What? God executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets prisoners free? The Lord opens the eyes of the blind? That's me. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. That's me also. Who loves the righteous? That's you and me who've trusted in Jesus. He loves us. The Lord watches over the sojourner. Do you know who that is? 
Look at me here just for a second. Please tune in. To, do you know who he's talking about? He's talking about the alien. Illegal or otherwise. God watches over them. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. You know who that is? That is the weakest among us, the orphan, the widow. But the way of the wicked, he brings the ruin. And then he sticks the landing at the end. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And he says the end of his day, praise the Lord. You and I will grow up when we wake up and began to see and praise the God who does this for the weakest among us. This is who God is. And when we lose sight of it, we lose sight of God. See, the God of the Bible sees the hurting, the weak, the marginalized, and they matter to him. And until our eyes are open to this truth, you and I are going to have a limited, even I would say a distorted view of God and his greatness. And just as an aside, I will say this. I am really convinced that much depression and sadness among Christians is tied to our limited understanding of God. We lose sight of who he really is. And we don't worship because we don't see him. It flows from seeing him high and lifted up, glorious, able, willing, and acting. And you know where he, who he uses to act? You and I. We lose sight of it. We falter when we don't speak to our souls and give praise to God. And how this happens is because Christians, we get tempted to live happily just simply in a belief system, simply believing. You're just amazed that you're saved. Isn't that good? I'm saved. God came after me. I was blind. He loves me, He sees me. He opened my eyes. I'm saved. Oh, my. And we just camp out right there. We stop. And then we take a little short trip into, all right, now what? And you know what the now what is for many of us? The now what is obligation. I got to start doing things. We boil our life down to doing right, and often it becomes moral issues focused almost exclusively around these little groups of things. Sex. We had great messages on sex. The Bible is clear. If you're not married, don't have sex. Clearly, if you are married to the glory of God, have sex with your mate. That's who you have sex with. Yes. There's do's and don'ts. There are restrictions. There are things God says. But when you boil your Christianity down to that, you miss the full view of what we are to be and to become. It becomes about obligations. And love really never gets cultivated in your heart because trust never flows from obligation. Do you know that? You got to do this. Trust doesn't flow from that. Why do I have to do this? I don't, we just do it. That's what we do. Trust doesn't flow from that. There is grace. And then there is justice. And there is being used by God to draw others to him. We need to praise his character. Secondly, how this happens, how this gets cultivated in our heart, 
For true maturity as followers of Christ, you must graduate from head knowledge and become engaged people of justice and compassion. Engaged to the culture. Engaged to people around you. Engaged to people you work with. Engaged. True maturity, you got to graduate. I don't, any parent in here have a child just simply say, I don't want them to graduate. I don't want them to grow up. I don't. Yes, I get that. But you really do want them to grow up. Please quit living off me. All right? God always wants us dependent on him. But God wants us to learn that Christianity is not one-dimensional. There's more. There's so much more. So I want to offer you what maturity might look like in some very practical steps. Now, please, I will compel to you again. No tomatoes, because I'm going to come close to home. Are you ready? Everybody ready? Listen. Some very practical steps. For you to mature and graduate, one thing that you can do is this. Minimize... And I would say even abandon the use of conservative and liberal language. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus cannot be politicized. And the ruling crowd continually tried to pull him in that way. Everything from taxes, paying taxes. What do you do with a woman that's caught in adultery? To who he talked to, meaning Jesus hung out and talked to Samaritans and talked about doing good and just loving things for Samaritan people who were enemies. They were despised. They were looked down upon. They were, ugh, ugh, those people. But you don't see Jesus doing, ugh, those people. He simply did the unexpected. He was concerned about displaying the truth of God. He was, just, he was concerned about giving liberty to the oppressed, good news to the poor, and binding up the brokenhearted is what he said he was in Luke 4. That's what he was going to be about. And I contend that you and I would do much to mature if we would just start quitting identifying ourselves as conservative or liberal, and no matter where you stand on that, how about we just be imitators of Christ? Lovers of what he loved. And he loved mercy, and he loved compassion, and he loved justice. Secondly, how you do it is you grow in humility. You grow in it. Repenting of being self-seeking justice lovers. Do you know that Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 gives us a formula. One of the places in the Bible that gives us a formula where God will cast his eyes on you with favor. Did you know that? Isaiah 66 verse 2 from the NIV God says, has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in heart, 
who tremble at my word. Are you interested in God's favor? I know I am. I want God to look at me and grant me favor, grant me opportunity, grant me, Lord, let me be instruments in your hands. Do you know how that happens? It starts, according to Isaiah, with humility. Trembling at at his word. Do you know what that means? It means that God's word impacts how I live. I walk differently. You're trembling, you walk differently. You're impacted, you're changed. True maturity requires that we graduate from head knowledge and become engaged. See, I understand what it means that when I, I look at something like this and what God's word requires of me, And I look at Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 that says, Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Ensure justice means to stand up. Speaking for the poor and the helpless. See that they get justice. I go, oh, God, I'm helpless. I feel helpless when I see people hurting. And when I see things that are happening on the news, sometimes I I go, well, what's really going on there? Do I see the whole story? Do I understand all that's happening? Am I just getting one side of the thing? Is it skewed? Should I be involved? Should I stay silent? What should I do? Oh, God, what? Ask yourself. What would God have us do? One of the things that I I think that is would be helpful for us is to maybe try to transport ourselves back just a little bit. You know, even in the lives of many of you who sit in this room, you saw the day, you knew the day where blacks and whites sat in different places on buses, drank from water fountains that were different, ate at different locations in a restaurant. I ask you, can you be honest enough To say, would you be active or passive in those moments? Speaking to the culture or just resign that what is is what is. This is what we do. This is what we do who know a great God. This is what we do. We stand back and go, God's sovereign. And ignore God's call for us to engage. I know what it's like to feel helpless. I, I, my first church, the very first church that I served while I was in seminary, I thought had a balcony. It was an old church. It was built in the 1830s, very pastoral scene, and it had looked like a balcony to me. There's no pews up there. And so one day I was speaking to one of the leaders who I love dearly. And I asked him, so what, what, why the balcony? A small room, why? He cast his eyes down. In genuine, heartfelt shame. And said, oh, Brian, that's the slave loft. That was built... Many years ago, 
slaves could come to the church before church started, before any white folk could show up. They could go upstairs, and it's not just enough that they were upstairs. There was a curtain that they closed so no one had to look at someone with a different skin color. I speak that to our shame as Christians. We need to understand that we are created in the image of God and people who do not look like you are created in the image of God. And they have infinite worth just like you. And God calls us to not be passive, but to say what God says and to do what God does. Yes, sometimes at a cost. We feel helpless. We feel confused. So I ask you, what do you stand for? Are you, do you get more excited about fame and power? Or do you know that God has called you to stand for so much more than what you view as politically right? Or protective of your way of life? Are you willing to do justice for others? Showing value to them. So even as I prepared, as I told you, I've got to be honest. You, you may be like me. You may be sitting here thinking, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really stand up a whole lot for other people. I, you may say, I've never given my time, my resources. You may not even have prayed a whole lot for anything or anyone that did, did not meet your view of deserving. And you might be sitting here and you may be tempted to feel like you're on a guilt trip. And some of you may be already got the club out and start beating yourself over the head. What's the matter with me? Why can't I get the, why can't I see these things? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. God looks at you and says, look up. Your redemption is drawing near. Look up. Don't beat yourself up. God saves the poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you know who that is? That's you. That's me. For theirs is the kingdom of God. He comes and rescues the placid, the blind. He comes for you. God saves the poor. God saves the poor in spirit. God is both just and justifier who has faith in Christ. And it begins by our confession. Lord, I need the gospel to really change me. Change me. Help me to grow up, to become wiser, and to engage. So thirdly, I want you to see this. This is how you do it. One of the ways you practically do it is you make it your aim to be gospel-saturated followers of Christ. Gospel-saturated followers of Christ. You know, it's football season. It's right upon us. And if you've ever lived in Texas or Oklahoma, those are like oil and water during football season. All right? Great rivalry between Texas and Oklahoma. And I heard a story about an Oklahoma fan attending a University of Texas game to see the two teams play. 
And he was seated in the mass of Texans. All that burnt orange and he's got this maroon on. He stands up right in the middle of that crowd. Pulls out a $20 bill and says, all you Texans, I got 20 bucks that says the Sooners will own the Longhorns today. Yikes. Grumble runs through the crowd. He looks around, sets back down. He waits about 30 or 45 seconds, stands back up. All you Texans, I've got a $50 bill that says Oklahoma will rule the day. Who, do I got any takers? Anybody? Sit down, shut up. That's what he hurts, began to hear. But nobody, nobody sets back down. Wouldn't you know it, he waits about a minute, stands up with a $100 bill, shouts the same, who, who? He'll take this bet. There's a man sitting just a couple seats away from him, stands up, puts his arm around him. It's a Texas fan. He said, dude, I like you. You believe in your team and you put your money where your mouth is. So I ask you, you believe in your team? Do you believe that Jesus is actually real hope for real people that are broken sometimes beyond recognition? That he is the God that sees the alien and the poor and the orphan. And his love and his grace that flows to us is to flow out of us. And when I say putting your money where your mouth is, I'm talking about putting your feet and your hands and your actions into more than just a theologically astute belief system. That you are to be more. You and I are to be more. We are to grow. See, being gospel-saturated means that you never get over being rescued. And it's lived out with others. People not like you. Everyone in your path. You become known and characterized as someone who cares about others. You know where it begins? It begins with you. Some of you have lost sight that there's more to you than you. And that's easy to do. Life can do that to you. The world is broken that you live in and you become protective. Oh my, God wants to show you that his presence in your life is meant to be lived out with others, to others, for others, even when you're weak. Yes, even when you're weak. John Piper said it better than I can He says it well when he says the gospel unleashes in the world a commitment not to live for justice, but to live for more than justice. Justice is minimalist. A life devoted to treating people as they deserve is not the Christian life. God in the gospel treated us better than we deserve. We don't get justice in the gospel. God got his justice in the gospel. We get grace. That's what we get. 
And he goes on to say, you shouldn't walk through your day or through your life thinking, how can I be just? You should walk through your life thinking, how can I be gracious? How can I be loving? How can I be kind? You start there. If you want to know where to start, start there. So Christ will be known in the culture when we treat people better than they deserve, not as they deserve. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls us to find life by losing it. So since we're being honest, who here wants to lose their life? Not not many, if any. Who wants to lose their life? Mm. Hands are slow in that. First in line at lunch, yes. Lose their life. Wait. Not usually any of us, except when we know, except when we understand that the life we have is messy and often at our own hands and full of heartache and failure where we've been the victim and we have victimized others to one degree or another. See, it is here that the ring of finding life is louder than anything that you'll fear losing. So what does Jesus do with us? He takes you by the hand and he takes you to the cross. He leads you up there to remind you that in identifying with him, there is shame and there is suffering. And he took that for us and God gave himself in that moment justice so that he can give you mercy. Our sin debt was paid there. Will you go up to the cross? But Jesus does something also that we need to see beyond the cross. Jesus always points us beyond the cross to remind us that when we lose, there actually is gain. There is resurrection beyond the cross. And true maturing followers of Christ, we must see the cross and, 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 and the resurrection. We must see that our lives... Yes, has a bearing, a burden of others, and helping them in their weakness will sometimes feel like crucifixion. But there's always a promise of new life afterward, of resurrected life, of new power, of new purpose, of new meaning. There is a promise of resurrection to new life for you and for me when we follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads? We ask you to bow your heads only in this moment so that there's no distractions around you. So you can think. That's what I want you to do. I want you to think. When was the last time you evaluated your growth in wisdom? When you took a look at how you are maturing as a follower. Where you've moved past. Or are you moving past a one-dimensional view of Christianity? Are you growing up? You never get over the cross. You never get over the gospel. But the gospel unleashes you. 
When I ask you to reflect that as created humans in the image of God, you have worth. And there are image bearers all around you right at this moment and are going to come into your path in the days ahead that bear the image of God just like you. Will you give worth to the people around you? Not just those that are like you. Will you give worth? Will you reflect that God is a God of justice? He is just. He judges and weighs the heart. God judges with perfect justice. And he opens the eyes of the blind. Will you ask God to open your eyes also? You very well could be sitting here today and know that God is nudging your heart, calling you to follow him. Deeper level of commitment to trust Jesus as your savior and to follow him and to doing more than living as a rule follower. Your own rules or what you think is God's rules. For he calls you to do more than a minimum of what you think is right. You're called to love God, to follow Jesus. And as Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second equally weighty call. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Is that you? On your own, that's not going to happen. With Jesus, it is so possible. Your life can change. Your mission in life can change. Today, right where you sit, do business 